people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with filmmaker Harrison Atkins, all about some of his projects that he's been a part of over the years, including some recent editing jobs that he's done, one on the film Carmelink, which we just talked with the director about that, and also one on The Year Between. You can find out where The Year Between is playing if you go to theyearbetweenfilm.com. Check that out. Check out Harrison Etkin's site as well, and I hope you enjoy this interview. What got you interested in show business? I've kind of been all in since I was like a little kid. I don't remember what it was that like initially incited me to, you know, making movies with other kids on my block, like in the suburbs. But I remember being in fourth grade and begging my parents to buy me like a consumer mini DV camera or maybe a high eight camera, and then was just making kind of small short films. And kind of always envisioned that I would be on a filmmaking path, pretty much with no backup plan. And I kind of have seen my whole life as pretty like linear progression since then. And <laughs> I remember watching, when I was a kid, this uh, TV show on HBO called 30 by 30 Kid Flicks. It was like a 30-minute show that would air sometimes where little kids, like 12-year-olds, would send in movies that they had shot. And they would be on TV. And, and I remember finding that really inspiring as a little kid and wanting to make movies like all those other kids. Was there a movie or movies that really kind of lit a fire under your butt? When I was an early teen, was really inspired by Tarantino movies. I remember I wrote a screen, like my first feature screenplay that I wrote when I was in early high school was like a, was like a very Tarantino-ish kind of movie. All those kind of gateway films in between almost art film and more commercial film. Donnie Darko, for example, those were really inspiring to me when I was kind of falling into the wormhole. And then as I got more into it, I was just really inspired by kind of more experimental or artistic movies. At one point, I tried when I was a kid to like go through, there was a library near my house and I tried to, I wanted to watch all the Criterion movies they had at the library. So I just started going through them in alphabetical order. And I didn't really know what I was watching. And I, I don't remember how far I got, but I remember watching Andrei Rublyov, the Tarkovsky movie. And finding that that really hit the spot, though I think it wasn't really until college that I that I really started to get that what that what was going on in that movie on a formal level. Where did you end up going to college? I went to Northwestern University um, outside of Chicago. I knew that I wanted to go to film school, but then at the last minute, I kind of decided that I also wanted to to have a more like well rounded sort of education. So I appreciated Northwestern because I was able to you know in addition to film classes and lots of really production-heavy classes study just a, a more holistic and like broad range of subjects. Actually, at Northwestern, I, I really got super into Tarkovsky. I was really... There's a, a professor at Northwestern named Ilya Kutik who is a poet, and he, he actually used to know Tarkovsky's dad, who was also a poet. And Kutik had this really intense Tarkovsky class that he would do every year. And I, I took the class and got so into Tarkovsky. At Northwestern, the, the reason why... I kind of think it's a pretty cool school is because if you get into something, you can sort of almost like create a curriculum for yourself to go down the rabbit hole. 
I asked this professor if I could do an independent study with him to go even deeper in Tarkovsky. Very pretentious what I did, but I was like, I want to make a film in the style of Tarkovsky. It's so pretentious to say it out loud, but that's what I was like when I was 19, 20. And, and, so he, and he was like, okay. And so, so my textbook for the class that we did together was Sculpting in Time, Tarkovsky's book. And, and I, you know, I made some like 13-minute short film that was like me trying to ape Tarkovsky's formal style. And What year was this? So I graduated from college in 2012. So this would have been in like, in maybe like 2010 or something, I guess. And once you graduated, you just kind of hit the ground running. I mean, you've got so many credits under your belt. Northwestern at the time in Chicago was kind of, it was like weirdly in the middle of this kind of mumblecore scene, sort of like uh, this professor named Spencer Parsons started teaching at Northwestern when I was a freshman. Uh, he came from Austin and was kind of associated with, you know, the group of filmmakers who had kind of had films at South by Southwest the year that Mumblecore broke out. You know, Joe Swanberg and it was, you know, Bujowski and um, Barry Jenkins. And so while I was in college, there were these Mumblecore panels at Northwestern and it just felt like the thing that was going on right then in the moment in, in the film world. Everybody was like starting to get 5Ds to make indie movies for super cheap, or like DSLRs, I mean. And while I was in college, I met Joe Swanberg because I was like attending all these panels and just interested in what was going on. And when I was a senior in college, I had to make a senior directing project and I needed a baby for the movie. So I was talking to my professor, Spencer, and I was like, where am I going to get a baby? And he was like, well, you know, Joe Swanberg just had a baby. Here's his phone number. So I called Joe up and I was like, hello. I heard that you have a baby. Is it possible for me to... And he was just like, oh, hey, man, no problem. Yeah, why don't you come over later today? You can check out the place. Maybe I can hold up my phone up to try to get him to hold a focal point for you. He was so cool. He was so, like, he was so great. He just immediately was so accommodating and cool. And so I went with my buddy over to his house and we, we shot this, this scene that required a baby and it went great. And I guess I was in touch with him a little bit through the rest of my senior year. And then when I graduated from college, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I had some vague plans to you know, work over the summer in Chicago and then maybe move to New York. I didn't really know. But then kind of right as soon as I graduated, I got a voicemail on my phone from Joe Swanberg and he was just inviting me to work on his movie Drinking Buddies in Chicago. I was like, of course. So I just kind of jumped at that opportunity along with one of my best friends was the assistant editor and DIT of that movie. And that, that was my first job. And then after, I feel like that kind of really led, led to a lot of what happened next for me. Well, Swanberg was even in your feature debut, right? Lace Crater? I mean, we've been friends for a really long time now. After I worked on Drinky Buddies, I did move to New York and I continued to work with some of the people that I met on that movie. I met these uh, producers named um, Alicia Vancouvering and Andrea Roa, who, who produced Drinky Buddies, had this outfit in Brooklyn called Dark Arts. And I kind of just kept like hanging around their office and sort of became their like unofficial intern person. And they would throw me gigs and just kind of like help me get jobs doing stuff like assistant editing a fashion video for Lena Dunham or whatever, or just like kind of random, like, you know, a few day long little gigs. I eventually made a, a short film that they produced called Chocolate Heart. That, that movie like premiered at South by Southwest and then played at a bunch of festivals. And then I would see Joe Swanberg at these festivals and he would just be like hanging out and we would we would just catch up and hang out. And, you know, I made another movie the next year and, and we just like continued to see Joe at festivals and we just stayed friends. Eventually, I wanted to make my first feature. I had this idea for a low budget movie called Lace Crater, which was kind of like a high concept premise. And I ended up pitching it to Joe 
in some context where I was trying to get advice about how to, how to fund it. I remember this conversation we had on the phone where he was like, well, how much money do you think you need to make the movie? And I was like, I don't know, maybe like 50000 And he was like, let me just see if I, can, if I can find that money for you. Two days later, he called me back and he was like, hey, man, I found the money. It's like, whoa, <laughs> it's like, you know, pretty quickly, you know, one thing led to another and then we were just shooting the movie. And so, yeah, I cast him in as the as the main character played by Lindsay Burgess. Not only have you directed a ton, I mean, like I said earlier, you've worked on so many different aspects of filmmaking, but one of the things that you're best known for is your editing. How did you kind of move into the editing world as well? Well, it's because of that movie. To be clear, I just consider myself holistically a, a filmmaker. I'm just obsessed with filmmaking and I really love cinematic language and that really excites me. And I, and I love to think about the building blocks of narrative and how shots fit together. When I made Lay's Crater, I was really trying to think about and be inspired by what I saw as kind of the most formally interesting American films that were being made, which I thought were being made by this director named Josephine Decker. I really loved her work. She had made this movie called Butter on the Lash and um, this other movie called Thou Wast Mild and Lovely, both of which I, I just really liked and thought were up to some really fascinating and tricky and slippery formal language. Um, so I felt like there, those movies kind of became infused in the DNA of my feature. And so I knew Josephine a little bit because I had met her on the festival circuit. But there was a festival where my film Lace Creator was, was screening and Josephine was in the audience. She saw the movie and she was like, oh, oh, we have to work together. Like, wow. It was so gratifying that she saw in it the same thing that I was trying to put in it because I was so inspired by her work. So she asked me at the time if I wanted to work together on her next movie which became the movie Madeline's Madeline. So that was the first film that I edited for someone else. And we, um, her, her vision for that movie was pretty in line with what I wanted to get out of it. We were both really interested in pushing the boundaries of cinematic language and trying to find new, even more subjective forms or engage with the formal language of movies in a way that reminds you that film art is actually pretty young, that there's a lot of opportunity to discover new tones or new ways of putting shots together to make you feel. We were really radical. And at the time that, you know, when we were editing that movie, it was an operation that, you know, we were working in Josephine's bedroom. It was, there wasn't much money. It wasn't like a real, there wasn't like an editing suite in an office or something. It was just like laptops, wherever we could be. And I remember while we were making it, there was this sensation like, are we crazy? Are we just making a movie that no one is going to care about or want to see? Eventually, got invited to premiere at Sundance. And then it was received really well there. It felt, it felt like it got a good critical response and that felt gratifying in a different way and, so, and sort of opened the door for, for I guess, me, me to be, I guess, perceived as, as an editor. And I kind of started to get initial offers from other feature filmmakers who, who wanted me to edit their films. So I actually recently talked with the director of Carmelink, and I know you edited that, and then you edited The Year Between, which I wanted to talk to you about as well. Those two movies are so different, this middle America out there comedy, and then this sci-fi Cambodian flick. I mean, how do you go about approaching films, and what's your method as far as like putting these things together? Because I don't literally conceive of myself as an editor specifically, I kind of think of myself as a, as a director who edits movies for hire. When I choose whether to take on a movie, I'm really looking for films that feel like a challenge or, or like something that I haven't done before or something that I can learn from or with a filmmaker who I can learn from. With Jake's movie, with Carmelink, I took the job with the hypothesis was kind of that, that you can discern whether a take or a performance by an actor is truthful, even if you don't speak their language. 
And I still don't know if that's true, honestly. So that movie's in, in Khmer, which obviously I don't speak. And uh, Jake, the director, speaks it. But it was a really interesting process to just try to make that movie. And, and I learned a lot from that process. With Alex Heller's movie, The Year Between, which I worked on this most recent year, Alex is an old friend of mine. She, she also went to Northwestern. And it's just someone that I've known forever and have a lot of love for. So working with her was more like busting balls with an old buddy. I work right here in my apartment. I don't have an editing office or anything. It's a really informal workflow. If I'm editing a film, the director just comes over and we edit the movie while hanging out. I don't know that I have a distinct methodology that I apply to every film that I work on. But in general, I would say that I edit an assembly, like a first pass of the movie, often while the film is being shot. And then the director and I will do a pass together where we'll sit next to each other and we cut the whole movie together. And then I will do a pass alone usually after that. And then the director and I will work again together. And we kind of just oscillate between me working alone and and working with the director usually until we get into screening the film for others or soliciting feedback or trying to get kind of into the nitty gritty of finishing the, the picture line. I'm sure you've worked with a lot of writer-directors, especially because you're working on a lot of more independent-type stuff. It's got to be interesting, though, with Alex, with her being writer-director and star. Is she like, oh, I can't kill that shot. You know, I look too good in it. She's actually really discerning. I think she's a great director. I think she's really funny. And I think she's very egoless when she is looking at her performances. We were both extremely brutal (laughs) with, with her performances. And I think part of why she wanted to work with me is because she felt safe with me. Because it's pretty like vulnerable already, the relationship between a director and an editor. Because as an editor, you're really kind of the intermediary between a, an artist and their art project. It's a relationship that implicitly kind of carries this psychological burden, sort of. For Alex, it was just really important to work with someone that she trusted. It's like, I know that she, that she trusts me and like has an affinity for for the the art that I make or like like the choices that I that I think are cool or whatever but also someone that she felt just safe around to be herself and to like say anything that came into her mind it's like at the end of the day we were both really rigorous in not wanting to leave any stone unturned in making the movie the best version of itself anytime either one of us had like an inkling of a sensation that something was not right it was like a moral imperative for the good of the movie to to voice that and then it was it was the same imperative to, to just keep cracking on it and make sure that we could address everything. What do you actually edit on? What's your uh, software of choice? I use Adobe Premiere. I used to be a Final Cut guy. I used to be a surgeon on Final Cut 7. And then I never made the switch on to Final Cut X or whatever. I instead switched over to Premiere and imported all my Final Cut hotkeys and then never looked back. Did I read right that you used to do the VCR to VCR thing too? Oh yeah, when I, I mean this is when I was a little kid. It's like I remember I didn't totally know what I was doing and I remember I have memories of being like wanting to, you know, making some, you know, dumb short film at like 10 years old and and wanting to make an opening credit sequence that that had music, but I was kind of editing in camera. So I was trying to press record on the camera at the same time as my dad pressed play on a stereo and then pause at the same time. And then, and then change to a new, a new shot. And then and I bet you can imagine whether that worked. Yeah. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure that was very interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very artistic. Well, I have to say the year between is tight. There's nothing wasted in that movie. She builds the narrative so well. And you guys did a fantastic job on it. Thanks a lot. Alex is a great director. And I think her instincts as an editor are great. 
And I think she's so funny and really understands comic timing. I mean, I, I agree. I feel like it's tight. And watching it, you know, it premiered at Tribeca recently. And it was really fun to be in the room for that premiere because it just felt like it hit really hard with the audience. And so it's a good feeling to work on a comedy because you get such clear feedback from an audience about whether the film is working because you can just tell whether they're laughing. So it definitely felt groovy on the day to, to just hear those laughs. Do you cut a comedy different than you cut, say, a drama? I almost try to not think about genre at all. On The Year Between, for example, I tried an experiment, which I think was a good experiment, where I never read the script. I never, ever read it at all. And that was something that I talked with Alex about before beginning the process. Because she sent me the script before I started working on the, on the film. And I was like, well, I could read this, but if I don't, then maybe I won't have any like preconceived bias about the myth of the movie. I can just edit totally you know, responding to, to the footage. I think that paid off. It's almost like when the footage is funny already, it just feels truthful in the edit to accentuate the humor. And when the footage isn't funny or something, or when the, when the kind of truth of the circumstance isn't funny, then unless you're trying to solve some kind of tonal problem with the film, like later in the process, it's not intuitive to kind of artificially inseminate the film with some kind of humor that's not there. So I guess I feel a little bit agnostic about, about genre or something. I feel like, I, like I'm trying to not even be intellectual in the way that I respond to, to footage, trying to be pretty, pretty intuitive and pretty much just, just trust my gut. I wasn't sure if you're always looking for like the ironic cut. Sometimes an ironic cut makes itself, you know, it's like you, you don't have a choice. But I wouldn't say that I'm usually seeking an ironic cut. I would say usually I'm just trying to be on the same frequency as the footage and, and like listen to what's already there. It's like you're trying to take the raw marble of the footage and like reveal the statue that's like already inside it. It's not just funny. There's the dark, there's the pathos, there's so much that's going on in that. There's plenty to laugh at, but at the same time, you can you vacillate between laughter and almost crying the entire time. The story is really personal for Alex, and, and I feel like her barometer and her compass for whether things felt correct was often a really personal compass. It felt like she was really looking into her own experience to kind of judge whether the film was truthful. And if something didn't feel truthful or accurate to sort of her lived subjective emotional truth or way that she, or experiences that she had had, it just didn't end up in the movie. I know what you mean. And I agree. The film is is structured really kind of expertly and, and it has, you know, and I think it has a good script and it has good performances and all that stuff helps. But I think ultimately, you know, the single greatest tool that we had in in, in the movie kind of like oscillating between being actually funny and actually sad or whatever, or having, having pathos is just that it, that it comes from a, a, a true place and that we were sort of rigorous in, in making sure that anything that wasn't unified with that truth just like didn't end up in the finished cut. I think you have at least three movies coming out this year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're a very busy man. When did you edit all of these? Well, so Link is, is out, I guess, right now. And that, I guess I worked on that in, uh, I feel like that was like 2019. Then there's this movie, Emily the Criminal, which is about to come out, that I worked on in the tail end of 2021. And then, well, there's this film, you know, there's a film, Good Girl Jane, that, that also premiered at Tribeca. I worked on it in 2020 when they were shooting that movie, but then the shoot was interrupted by the pandemic. So they resumed a year later. And that was when I resumed too. So I worked on it, I guess, in 2021 and, and 2020. And then the year between, which is the most recent movie that I edited, that that film was like, it was finished and then pretty immediately just premiered at Tribeca. What are you working on now? 
kind of my main project right now is just this this kind of larger movie that that I'm trying to direct, which is a film that I that I've been working on a long time and I really love, and it's pretty ambitious and it's um it's more expensive than my previous film. I've just been in this like long process of uh, casting and financing that movie, and so that's that's kind of my day to day right now. But in August, I'm about to edit another film for hire, which I'm excited about, which is by this filmmaker named uh, Imran Khan. And I maybe I won't talk too much about it because I don't know what what I would say about it that they I don't know how much they want to reveal about that movie. But I'm excited to work on it. The script is really cool and the filmmaker is awesome. Is there a good place for people to keep up with you and your work online? I have a website. It's just my name, HarrisonAtkins.com, which I try to keep updated with stuff that I have going on, post films that I make, um, films that I edit. And I guess that's probably the best way to, to sort of know what's going on with me. You can try to find me on Instagram or something like that, but your mileage may vary. Well, Harrison, thank you so much for your time. This was great talking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun to get to talk. <laughs>